God's word that we'll take a look at today is Matthew chapter 3. I encourage you to keep that open if you'd like as we hear the word of the Lord together this morning. I mentioned that two weeks ago for Thanksgiving, we were sitting around the Thanksgiving table and we were all eating the big Thanksgiving feast together. We happened to have a foreign exchange student with us for the dinner. She knew pretty well how to eat with a fork and a spoon and everything else. She did just fine. The one thing that she did that was a little odd, all the Asian peoples, including many of the Chinese, right, they sit there at their meals with their bowls right up to their mouth, and they put the food on top of a bowl of rice, and they sort of just shovel the food into their mouths, right? So they sit here like this, and and, and, and it's respectful, it's polite. Nobody wants to see your food falling out all over the place, especially if you're eating rice with uh, chopsticks. It's very difficult to eat rice with chopsticks, so it makes a lot of sense in their culture. You can imagine it was a little bit of a humorous sight, though, to see somebody eat turkey in that way. I didn't point out to her in the middle of the Thanksgiving meal that this was wrong, I suggested, though, to you and I that this serves as a pretty good example for us, a fairly good illustration for us of what it actually is to confess sin. It's easy enough to admit that we're wrong about the things that we do that are bad, although there's a lot of questions about what's right and what's wrong when it comes to very specific things, you know, white lies and that kind of stuff. Most of us have a general sense of what's right and wrong. But that's not God's idea of confessing sin. As Christians, when we confess sin, we don't just admit that there are certain general bad things that everybody agrees to that we do wrong. No, what we say is, even the good things that we've done since we were little, the things that we've learned from our families and our lives and our cultures, the normal way of doing things, they're all filled with this corruption that ruins us. And so we learn to call out to God and say, come and help. Come and help. This week, we want to build on that idea. On the one side, we see that there's lots of things that are wrong in the world, wrong in life, bad in life, that we want to fix. Take hospitals and hospital bills and the whole medical process. But let's just take hospital bills. Imagine you go to the hospital, and if those of you who have been in the hospital, you've gone through this experience, you go to the hospital, the hospital bills you. Did the hospital actually want you to pay that bill? Not really, because they've also submitted the bill to your insurance. And they're really just sending you the first bill as a notice that this is what your bill would cost. If you pay the first one, what happens is then your insurance will pony up the money, right? And then the hospital will receive that money, and then they'll send you a new bill saying, you actually owe this much money. And you'll say, well, wait a second, I paid the first amount. And they'll say, well, yeah, you did. Maybe we'll refund you in like two years when our billing process, and, and if you've been through this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
We got ourselves stuck in that process. We got the first bill. We paid the first bill, and they said, oh, actually, we're still waiting for your insurance to get back to us. And these days, if you have two kinds of insurance, it's even worse, right? Because they're going to submit the bills in sequence. And you start to say, wait a second. This is healthcare in the modern world? This is finance and billing and processing in the modern world? Or take end of life, cell phones, a simple thing like cell phones. I know somebody who just died. They paid their cell phone bill before they passed. Then the family finished out dealing with the estate. Two, three months down the road, they find out that they've overpaid on the cell phone bill. They call the cell phone company. Hey, you know, we overpaid you $35 or whatever else, right? Paid ahead on the month because we got the auto pay thing going on. Okay, well, our billing company, our billing and our processing department will get back to you on that. Six months later, the billing and the processing still hasn't paid them back. These are just the smallest things that are wrong in life. I mean, we haven't even talked about then all of the bigger things. On the other hand, though, life is so good, isn't it? I mean, couldn't I go around this room and you would all list so many of the wonderful things in your lives, not just family and friends, good communities to be part of, wonderful beer to drink, or wine if you prefer wine in Michigan, good sports. How about the Wolverines, huh? All these good things in our lives. It's hard then to think that there's really sin that God wants us to confess. Does he really? Does he really want us to think that we're bad and that things are bad? When you sit there on a Saturday night and you enjoy a great football game and you have some wonderful food and, and, and maybe a good drink to go along with it, does he really expect us to say, yeah, we're sinners and things are bad? It, it would seem that way, wouldn't it? We're going to take one of the key stories today leading up to Christmas, and it's the story of John the Baptist. At the mention right off the start, this is not the first member of, of the Baptist church. John the Baptist is not the first Baptist in history. He's not called John the Baptist because he was part of the Baptist church of Jerusalem. Yeah, he's called John the Baptist because he was the one who baptized. That was his job. He was a very unique child. He was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth in their old age. They were senior adults when he was born to them. Because he was such a unique child, every day of his life was spent dedicated to the Lord. You can read about his child age years in the beginning chapters of Luke, especially Luke chapter 1. Today we're going to take a look at his work life. And for that, you can see a summary of it in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. It's on page 784 in this white and blue Bible if you want to look at it. Here's how Matthew summarized the work life of John. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. What was the summary of John's ministry and his message? It was one word, repent, repent. What does repentance mean? What does that word mean? What does that idea refer to? Probably most of us understand it as saying sorry, right? of feeling sadness, or if you want to use the special word, we would say it's feeling contrition. Yeah, remember that big, that big word? Maybe you've heard it a few times, feeling contrition over something that we've done wrong. Very literally, repentance means to change one's mind or to turn one's thinking around. Makes me think, you know, every year I come up with an idea of what to get my wife for Christmas, and then I will oftentimes kind of float a trial balloon to find out if she actually wants it or not. You know, I'll say, so what do you think about something else? And I'll make sure to throw it in the middle of another conversation so that I can not let her know exactly that that's what I want to get her. Very often times, very often she shoots it down. You know, how often is a husband right on what his wife actually wants? And so I change my mind about what I'm going to get her. Is that what John means when he says, repent? I think the change mind, it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? There's there's two pictures that really help us think about what repentance is. On the first side, when we repent, we admit that we deserve the worst stuff to happen to us. That sounds really harsh, doesn't it? One of the most powerful stories in the Bible of repentance is a story that Jesus told one time about towers falling. Towers fell uh, on some people. And the people came to Jesus and said, were those people any worse? And Jesus said back, no, and unless you too repent, you too will perish. He basically said, you deserve to have the towers fall on you. That's a pretty harsh message. But look what John said. It's almost the same thing. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Do you know how much work it takes to straighten out a road? Have you ever been on a, not only a windy road, but a terribly bumpy and, and crooked road? I don't know about you. I've been watching the uh, work take place on the old Rock 10 plant over here. Have you seen how much work has gone into just flattening out the terrain so they can build that up sometime? What is, what is John saying his, his work is? It's to flatten out people, isn't it? He's telling people to repent. He's telling you and I that we need to be flattened out. That means that there's a terribly destructive process that has to take place in our lives. That's not a very nice sounding thing to say. But that's what repentance is on the first part. It means that the very worst things, we, we deserve to have them happen to us. But there's also a good part to repentance. The good part to repentance is that we realize that God is committed to saving us from what we deserve. That Rock 10 work, the destructive part of it, ripping up the ground, that's only the first part. There's a whole constructive part still to come where God is going to rebuild a flat ground. 
And that's what he's committed to with us as well. Or as he said in the towers, at the end he said, I will come and I will fertilize and I will take care of all the plants below them and we will not rip all of that stuff out. Right? He is not just allowing the things to happen to us that we deserve. He is also committed to saving us from what we deserve. And you and I, repentance is getting that. Repentance is understanding that. You know, a, a picture that maybe helps sometimes me to understand repentance and think about repentance is like breathing. I hope all of you are breathing right now. Yes? Good? When you breathe, we expel all of our nasty, bad air. If you just stopped with breathing out, how would that be for you? <laughs> it wouldn't be very good, would it? Pretty quick, your life would end. But then you breathe back in, and you fill up your life back with the good things. When you breathe out, you admit that all of this air well, not quite 100% of the oxygen, but a vast majority of the oxygen in your body has turned to junk and you have to get rid of it. When you breathe back in, you take back in almost all 100% fresh, clean, new life. That's what repentance is, isn't it? It's to breathe out and to admit that so much of our life has gotten filled up with junk and we breathe back in and we take in God's new life. If all we say about ourselves is we're terrible people, that's not repentance. That's just self-flagellation. That's just self-hatred. That's not at all what God means. But if all we say about ourselves is, oh, we're wonderful people and we're filled with all kinds of new things in life, it's an exciting time to be alive, that's not repentance either. Repentance means that we admit to what we deserve, but it also means we recognize that God is committed to saving us from what we deserve. That's why God says, hey, say come and help. Say come and help. It's not just, though, because you and I are maybe bad people, because we've done things wrong. It's because this world is filled with all kinds of wrong things. Did you hear that at the end of this section? I've appreciated this more because John went on to say, he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, and he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance? And don't say, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I don't know about you, I think the thing for me that's hardest to hear when I hear the words repent is the fact that I feel like I am a very minuscule, minuscule fraction of the problem in the universe. And even if I am not going to run around pointing fingers at everybody else, it's hard to see what I contribute to the problem. And I mean that with all sincerity, right? I am not causing the hospital billing issues. It's not my fault that the hospital bills me 25 times for the same procedure. And I did not rip off the little old lady by overcharging her for her cell phone and refusing to pay her family back after she passed away. 
And, and I mean, we can go on and on. I am not the cause of the ecological disasters that are coming upon most of this earth. I am not the cause of so many false trials, imprisonments, and all of the other injustices that have taken place in our world. Right? I am not the cause of our world wars. I was in China. I didn't pick a fight with anybody and cause a huge chaotic war to break out. And don't you feel like that sometimes too? And I'm not trying to say we're trying to get out of our responsibility here. I'm saying this world is a bad place and it's not my fault. Or is it? That's what God wants to ask you and I about here today. And actually, I, did, I realized more as I've looked at this section, you know, that John really is right. When he says here, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it's very rare in the Bible to see the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the same place. You almost never see them together. They could hardly stand each other's guts. There's a lot of history behind that. But what he's pointing out to us is that for one rare occasion, all of the elites in society were coming together for some reason. You know those elites, the people that run all of the organizations that drive us bonkers? It's them that were coming out to John. And John told them, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He was telling them that it was time to realize that they were messing everything up. Now, I'm not trying to convince you that this world is an awful, terrible place because I know just how much good there is in life. I know that you're looking forward to spending time with your kids and your grandkids and your friends this Christmas. I know that you've got all kinds of plans to give gifts. I know that you can't wait for hot cocoa and candy canes and everything else. So why is God, why is John so against everybody else? Does he really want us to walk around and think that this, this world is an awful place? It's really hard to have the right frame of mind, isn't it, towards the rest of the world? I think maybe as an example that has helped me think through it a little bit, I think about the difference between waking up in America for me every day and then showing up in China. Now, when you wake up in America in your safe, warm bed, in your safe, warm house every morning, waiting to go turn on your coffee pot, or if you're a, a kid waiting to have your piece of toast or maybe your Pop-Tart or something like that, do you wake up in the morning and say to yourself, gosh, the world is out to get me, and I better watch out before I open my door here because I might have problems? No, you, you wake up and you say to yourself, ah, it's a new day. I'm happy to be alive. It's going to be a great day. Or maybe you say, I'm a little sad, I'm a little tired today, it was a long night, rough week, and whatever like that. But you don't walk around and say to yourself, I'm scared for my life, it's a chaotic mess, and I have no idea what's going on. 
That's how I felt, though. That's how my family felt. That's how we all felt when we walked off the plane for the first time in China. When I got off the plane, right, I look around, and it was an exciting time to be sure. I was super excited to be there. I was really happy to learn everything about what was going on. But, you know, we have been told many times, oh, there's a lot of pickpocketers. There's not serious crime in China, but there's a lot of pickpocketing and a lot of minor crimes. So what do we all do? We're all like walking around like this, you know, oh, watching our, don't, don't let anybody get at your wallet, right? And, and, and we've all, of course, we've learned and we've been told many times, hey, you know, what you're doing is sensitive. It's quasi-illegal. The government might be out to get you. So what happens every time the phone rings? Every time somebody knocks on the door, I say to myself, is this the time? Are they going to come take me away? You know, are my friends going to say it's time to run because you got to get out? They're coming after you, right? When, I, when we got off the plane, look around, there's this chaotic mess of noise, and all I want to do is find one sign that tells me which way to go. Now, was I terrified for my life? No, but I was slightly cautious and skeptical and a little bit anxious, not in a bad way, but just aware of life all the time. God says you and I ought to operate like that towards the world all the time. Yes, this world is filled with lots of good things, but he tells the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, because there's plenty, not only of people, but all sorts of systems and philosophies in this world that are out to destroy us. I don't want to ruin your lives. I want you and I to know that there is only one place where we can be saved. All of the hospitals, all of the finances, all of the independent counselors and the coaches and the life coaches, all of these things that you and I want, maybe they're good for a little bit, but none of them can save us. None of them can really rescue us like that true Savior. That's why God teaches you and I to say, come and save. Come and save. Come and help us. Because we need that Savior to not only rescue us from ourselves and our own sin, we need that Savior to rescue us from this world. This world that, as wonderful as it is, is also ruined. We need a Savior to rescue us from that. You know, I have a lot of respect, maybe you have as well, for the mature people in life who can go through their lives and they come to the point where they realize that they are causing a problem. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's one thing to have people who can walk through life and say, I'm a thief or I'm an alcoholic and I've made my mistakes. But I was just talking with a person the other day who said, I've been trying my whole life to love the people around me. However, I so failed at it at one point in my life, and the people in my life let me know that I failed at it, that now, now I'm afraid to really love. I'm always holding myself back. She had this incredible sense, awareness, right, of her own failure in life 
to be a truly loving person. Now, that's a real maturity that is only revealed by repentance. And that's why repentance is so awesome. That's why repentance is the one thing that God wants from you and I. He wants repentance because it reveals, yes, our faults and our failings. It reveals the thoughts and the failings of the world around us, but ultimately it reveals how great God is. So friends, let's repent. Let's let that repentance about our, even our own lives and this whole world be part of our life this Advent season. Let's keep saying, come and really help us, God, because you alone can really save. Let's join in our prayers for that, and then we'll confess our faith. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have revealed repentance to us so that we can come to you and ask for help, not only with our problems, but with the problems of the world around us. We don't want to fall into catastrophic thinking, saying that this world is, is all falling apart and it's a terrible place. No, you hold all things, you sustain all things by your mighty hand. But on the other hand, we don't want to fall into like overly sensationalistic, optimistic thinking that says you're going to rest, that everything is perfect and there's, there's bells and angels everywhere. No, that's not true either. Your grace alone sustains us. Only through repentance can we receive your good gifts every day. And so we pray that we would live in that repentance, no matter what might come to us. Let us say, come and help Lord Jesus today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.